But if you take auto, that's that's getting quite digitized. It's still not fully digitized. We're probably in call it the seventh inning there. But as a whole, as an industry, I think we're probably in the third inning of true digitization across those um, for a while. Pleased today to be here with Bhavan Suri. He is Managing Director of Software Investment Banking at William Blair. Welcome, Bhavan. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here. Maybe for those you know who aren't as familiar, maybe you can just share a little bit about sort of William Blair's niche and you know your background a bit, and 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 maybe some of your you know clientele, you know software fintech, and and obviously this is more insure tech oriented, but but things you've done related to insure tech as well. So uh, William Blair kind of a premier global boutique uh, called roughly 2,000 people globally. Um, you know, and sort of as you think about software transactions uh, on the M&A side, we probably do more software transactions than anyone else, call it between 200 million and 3 billion in enterprise value. So spend a lot of my time in that space. And then we obviously uh, do a ton of IPO activity in the software space too. Uh, so, uh, you know, we probably own 50, 60% of software IPOs. That, that market apparently obviously is closed right now. Uh, right. But but certainly, you know, if you think about InsureTech, we were on the Duck Creek IPO. We've certainly done a lot of work with Guidewire, the larger InsureTech player, Sapiens, um, or InsureTech out of Israel. Um, then we've certainly been involved in uh, M&A in the space, too. An example, so Carpet Data uh, and others in that space. So so pretty uh, engaged in the InsureTech ecosystem, uh, both from a uh, small private company uh, fundraising perspective, uh, then larger scale M&A, and then certainly the IPO markets as well. Maybe just a, a little bit about your own career evolution and, sure. and kind of, you know, personally for you, what your areas of interest are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird zigzag career being a banker. I was a physicist, then started a business implementing technology, so implementing large scale mission critical systems, think Oracle's, SAP's. But that's where the InsureTech piece plays out, right? These large systems for claims or processing or actuarial work to understand how do you price a policy. Um, and then what's interesting is I ran the data warehousing analytics business for um, this business, this company, and you're seeing data play such a big part, not just in the actual pricing policy, but workers' comp, and how do we actually take data to understand things like cyber insurance today um, and the risk around that? Um, how do you price insurance for things that are just one-offs, you know, um, et cetera? And then we sort of, you know, I, I left that and started a software company, uh, you know, sold that and then um, did some venture work and then joined Blair about uh, 18 years ago. Um, and so kind of a kind of interesting path to becoming a banker. And for about 15 of those 18 years, I ran what's called our equity research business, which is where you cover public companies, and you kind of, you know, uh, bring them to investors. Um, and so it, it's interesting watching the technology evolution play out in the insure tech space where, you know, in the old days, there's no idea of taking a picture of a car and the damages associated with it, right? You call in and the guy shows up and you take, he looks at it and he tells you what it is. There's really cool companies like CCCI today that you can take a picture, submit it to Progressive or whomever. They automatically can tell from the picture what vehicle it is, what make it is. They can tell the body shop that they approved to get the part ready. They'll cut the checks and all of a sudden that whole process is streamlined, right? Yep. Um, you know, you have a fire in your kitchen and you got to replace the oven or something. Just be able to take pictures without having someone come and wait and being able to get that stuff fixed faster. What they call straight through processing has been a huge improvement in InsureTech. So certainly really cool for me as a technologist, right? Finance kind of a side gig. I'll laugh at right. that. But, uh, but to see that play out uh, for the consumer, for large corporations to drive efficiency and automation. 
you think insurance is is kind of still more in the digitization phase or do you think it's more of an innovation phase where applying technology sort of not just do business more efficiently but but either execute new business models or execute business either being able to serve new populations or or better serve existing uh, populations I think by and large digitization is still in the let's call it third inning for most carriers. And if you think about digitization, if you break it down a little bit, consumer lines might be more digitized than commercial lines, small commercial, mid-sized commercial. I think when you get to watercraft, when you get to large, um, you know, ensuring a large ship, things like that, you know, digitization is way behind in that situation in terms of understanding, can I get a blueprint of the ship and can I can I take that to drive a policy as opposed to having someone go examine it, right? I think we're, we're quite a ways from that. Um, Large-scale commercial insurance is still sort of very, very manual and not digitized, right? So I, th- I think it depends on the line. But if you take, you know, sort of auto, that's that's getting quite digitized. It's still not fully digitized. We're probably in, call it the seventh inning there. But as a whole, as an industry, I think we're probably in the third inning of true digitization across those um, for a while. Life is way behind, right? When you get to life and annuities, I mean, that's probably first inning in terms of actual digitization, let alone anything else. Is there anything that you know, particularly given your background prior to getting into banking that is nuanced in terms of how they approach their strategy working in the insurance industry versus, say, other verticals that maybe are a little more fast moving, you know, in terms of how they they look at their fundraising, how they plan out their runway, how they, you know, build the team, et cetera. I mean, I think you've sort of touched on these things a little bit, but any other comments you might have on that? I think the the insurance industry, the first thing is, is it's an industry that a lot of people are interested in. That vertical, because of the stickiness of the customers, once you're in, uh, because of the lifetime value of those customers, is a industry that investors are very excited about, right? Um, it is a very popular industry to go into. And the big thing you need is domain. It's really hard to go talk to a PNC guy without really truly understanding what straight through processing of a claim is and saying you have it, right? And so that's one of the nuances. You can go into marketing, and you don't have to have that much depth in marketing. And you can get in and say, I've got a marketing automation company and go do something with it or a CRM company, right? The vertical piece is really important. There are some verticals that I would say you need less expertise in them. Uh, you need to know some things about retail, but you don't have to have so much domain in retail to go build a retail solution or a restaurant solution. Um, whereas in insurance, because of the complexities of what's happening with the carriers, the MJs, et cetera, knowing that and 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 building a team that understands the business plus the technology is critical and that's a combination that's hard to do right if you can get the business and technology worked out then you're on the right path so make sure you're deep in the domain and make sure you understand what can be done with the technology to address the automation in that domain that's my two kind of big takeaways in anything i've learned in that space um, over the years um you know i i think as you think through building a team you know these days you can outsource a lot of technology development to Eastern Europe, India, et cetera. I would say keep the technology development as much as you can in-house in the early days. That IP will matter to you. And it's really easy to say, I get a cheap developer here to go build this. And the answer is yes, you can, but it's really important for you to own and understand exactly how the IP is built in the early days. Because in the early days, someone's investing in the tech. They're not really investing, and the management team, but it's the management team and the tech. They're not really investing in the market opportunity because you haven't proven it out. They're not yeah. investing in a sales growth piece because you haven't got MVP. So in the early days, I would say keep the tech as close as you can to yourselves because you guys implementing a customer with the domain you have will be important as you iterate and provide sort of the updates and the changes and everything else. So that, that's a couple of things I'd point out there. Do you have any thoughts on sort of the fundraising environment and 
where it is today, where you think it's potentially headed, and to the extent you can help folks who you know are planning their runway now, any advice you can give them? The fundraising environment in InsureTech remains reasonably healthy. Um, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of interest from uh, growth equity and sponsors in the space, um, and so I think that's there. I think the biggest issue is valuation. And I think you appreciate what we saw in 20 and 21 versus today. And so I think, you know, that bid ask spread has converged. Uh, but I think people have to be, you know, somewhat realistic. And so call yourself a 20%, call it 30% growth business. If you're burning, that's a harder game to play and say, get a massive valuation. You're not going to get a hugging faces, 40 times revenue valuation. Yeah. Unless you become a pure AI company, which is a different conversation. Josh and I will do that in another podcast. Right. <laughs> but... but um, you know, think about sort of a 30% growth business getting a, call it six to seven times revenue valuation uh, as a starting point. You know, churn matters, net dollar retention rate matters, gross margin matters, and then obviously what is the cash flow profile and unit economics matter. Every one of those is a nuance, the size of the TAM matters, um, but that's the sort of things to think through. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable to think of that. Now, when you're early stage and you have no revenue, you're going to get value of three to five million, maybe somewhere in that range, maybe 10 million, depending on what you're providing. As you get revenue and scale, you'll see that valuation sort of as a multiple compress. So you might get a $10 million valuation on zero revenue. Yep. And that sounds like it's infinity, but then sort of as you get to 10 million, it's unlikely unless you're growing 100% to get a 100 million valuation, probably gonna get closer to a 50, 60 million valuation. So so happy, as I said, uh, to, to work through some nuances there. And Josh, we could do a podcast on just valuation, how to think about it with growth and scale too, as a uh, separate one in the space. I feel like there was a wave of people who didn't really necessarily know the space in depth, but they sort of saw the macro opportunity and came in in that time period, you know, a few years back. And now, you know, they're on to generative AI or whatever else is catching their fancy at the moment. But in terms of the people who know the space better, you know, one thing I've heard from some of the folks out in the market trying to raise is that investors are still moving the goalposts on them a little bit. So, you know, hit these milestones and, you know, we'll be prepared to talk more seriously. And then the companies hit the milestones and then it's like, well, this is a new milestones we want you to hit. I mean, are you are you hearing that as well? Or do you feel like that, you know, is stabilizing or the bid-ass spread you were talking about? Any any commentary you can provide on that? Sure. So, so I think the bid-ass spread has shrunk. But the reality is, is if you're a founder and you got around in 21 and call it 20 times revenue, whatever the multiple happened to be, because of momentum oh. investors, because of what the market was doing, the reality is you're not going to get that today. And so you have to sort of absorb that, come to terms with that your board does, as do your sort of senior employees who might own some stock uh, or equity. Um, I think there's still a gap and folks need to bring that down. Um, I think that's going to be a challenge, but but you know that's why you've seen guys say, okay, I am desperate. I'm running out of cash. I'm going to take a lower valuation. And ultimately the answer is yes. And so the early investor is going to get hurt, but that's just kind of how it's playing out. And then if you grow into it, if you hit the right milestones, I think um, that'll play out. I think as far as, you know, the investors moving the goalposts, I will tell you today, there's, there's not so much moving the goalposts as it is. The metrics are, profitability matters more. And that's just the reality of the game. So if the metrics were grow, but no one mentioned cash flow profitability, and today they're going to mention cash flow profitability, that's just kind of what we see in the market, people saying that. For the early stage guys where people understand, the right investors who, who invest in the space who understand the duration of the sales cycle, but also the duration of the customer lifetime, because these customers are there for 10, 20 years, they're actually willing to invest in companies that are burning cash as long as those unit economics make sense. And so I would say those unit economics have to trend up and to the right. So if it costs you a million dollars to get a customer and the lifetime value is 10 million, so it's just simplified 10X, that's a great number. If it was 7X going to 10X, great. If it's 7X going to 5X, you're in trouble. 
right? And so yeah. it depends. It's, it's the vagaries of company-specific direction on some of those things. And so it's, it's worth digging into each of those. Um, but I would say, you know, the reality is, is profitability will matter quite a bit. Um, unit economics, if you're not profitable, will matter quite a bit. Gross margin will matter. And then net dollar retention, which is, okay, so I don't have, it's not going to cost me as much to sell to the existing customer. What does that growth look like if I don't do anything? So one of the beauties is if I didn't add a single net new customer, what is my growth? That's kind of where they're headed. And so that's some of the, some of the things to think through from that perspective. I don't think investors move the goalposts as much except for the profitability piece unless something is going the other direction. Uh, Bob, and anything else you want to hit on before we wrap up? And, and the biggest thing is there is still a ton of investor interest in space. This is a great vertical to be in. It's complex, which makes it great. These are good things. And, 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 and the buyers, while they might be a little slower to move, because they are, once you're in, it's great, right? There's, there's two sides of that sort of sword, so to speak. Um, but if you get a successful product and you get the buy-in from even a tier three, tier four, and you can move up market, uh, it's a great market. There's interest both from strategics. You're looking at all the large strategics have developed corp- corporate M&A sort of functions and practices in the looking. And yeah. uh, you've got plenty of the the, uh, the investor side uh, that are doing the same. And so, you know, for all the folks listening, I'd encourage you uh, to keep focusing, keep delivering. And, uh, you know, if we can be of help, let us know. All right, great. Bob and Suri, thanks so much for being on. Thanks, Josh.